Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Um, we have a guest today, Erica Dickerson, Jamila Mapp. They are from Good Moms, Bad Choices. They have a new book coming out. Podcast is Good Moms, Bad Choices. The book is A Good Mom's Guide to Making Bad Choices. It's mother empowerment, black mother empowerment. You know, it's empowerment for mothers. Yes. I like it. I like it a lot. You guys got to go buy the book and you I guys got to listen to the interview. You, 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 it's, you, for, it's for women. It's for too. women. Not just, just, just moms. Not, not just moms. Moms to be. Moms to be. Moms to be like in the future. Like future moms. That would be moms to be. But question, are you a mom to be if you're not pregnant? I consider myself a mom to be. You consider yourself a mom to be? Yeah. So you're a mom to be. (laughs) Now we're getting into it. So you're a mom to be. You're a mom to be. What what does that come with? What does it come with being a mom to be? Not much, Van. (laughs) (laughs) I'm asking. Because you said you consider yourself a mom to be. So what comes with that? I plan on being a mother in the future. So... I mean, I guess people with child do say I'm mom-to-be, but they also say I'm pregnant. I don't know. I'm a mom-to-be. Whatever. Fuck it. That's what I say. I, I'm... What, what, wow. Okay. It is not that aggressive. I, Chill out. I was just Chill asking, out. are you a mom-to-be? Yeah. If you're not... Okay, cool. I, I, I mean, for me... You I want mean, to be your your future mother. You want yeah. to be your prospective mother. Yes. Your mother with... You got the stuff to do. I gave birth today. Two? I've been constipated. All right, I don't want to go and any so further. And so, because of the medication, I don't and, want and it, it. And it, uh, it's been really hard, figuratively, like, like literally, it's been really hard. It's like it, it's, it's really, it's a side effect of some medications that I'm taking. Oh. And today was like a, a real. I had to overcome. I'll just put it to you like that. It made me late. I had to do a Ghost so Brothers you podcast. Induced. Today. I induced. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I had to do the Ghost Brothers podcast and I was like, well, telling them, look, I need 10 minutes. It makes you angry. It does. It, like, I, yeah. It's like, why is it, why isn't my body like cooperating? You can't relax. You can't relax. You know what I mean? You can't I, do I anything. Hope, do you feel thumb. better? Oh, man. I feel like I was, I feel like now for the last couple of days, I've probably not been feeling great. Right. Because right. of it. But now I feel like totally Free. different. Free. Lighter. Free. Lighter. I, it's going weird too because there's nothing you can do to beat it because I'm taking my athletic greens. Shout out to everybody out there. Athletic Brian greens, athletic greens, athletic greens. Brian loves athletic mm-hmm. greens. Mm-hmm. Athletic greens is the best product in the world. It's the best product in the world. Athletic greens help me sleep. Athletic greens help me Amazing. be regular, you know, before the medication. Athletic greens give me energy. Okay. Athletic greens, great. AG1. AG1 from athletic greens. Go get it. Uh, did not pay for that, by the way. It's just something I take. And I've been taking. That plus Metamucil, plus I use hemp protein in my smoothies, and still all of that, the medication. Metamucil? Why, I feel like I see that on a commercial. What is that? You'll know what Metamucil is? It's like fiber oh, capsules fiber? so that okay. you can, you know, okay. be regular and stuff okay. like that. Um, what'd you do this weekend? I saw you and Brian all dressed up. Where'd y'all go? We went to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. How fantastic! What was that like? It was fun. You never been? I'm, sure, I'm surprised you've been. Nigga, don't fucking play me, nigga. I'm not trying to play like, you. Like, you. See what I'm saying? It's, don't play Man, me, nigga. Man, you're a big deal. I never. I'm, like, I'm, you, I'm, I'm, I you am. Been? I'm surprised. Oh, you never been? Because like, here's you're the thing. To play me. It's not like the White House invited me. I, it's publications 
who or networks who mm-hmm. purchase the table and then they invite people to their table. So because you know so many people, I'm saying this is a compliment. <laughs> I growl you, don't play me. I'm dead serious. Anyway, we you're... went, we had a great time. Um, it was a really cool event. A lot of people, very lax. Everywhere you turn, you're like, oh, this is a politician. This person's on news. This person's a celebrity. It was pretty cool. Um, Roy Wood Jr. was the host. He was fantastic. I mean, Roy Wood Jr. had a a, a text exchange not too long ago where I See? texted him and pretended to be somebody completely different. Why? Because he had given me his number. First of all, Roy's didn't he fan. used to do prank calls and stuff like that? He he handled it so <laughs> on well. radio. He had given me his number a while ago. Um, I forgot to reach out, but then I reached out. When I reached out, I was like, why don't I fuck around and see what I can get Roy to do? Didn't happen. Roy did such a fucking fantastic job. Mm-hmm. I've watched the stuff from the Correspondence Dinner. So great. Love to see him get that shine. What a funny, relatable, amazing guy. One of those people that like, I love to see do well because mm-hmm. he's so good at what he does. And his mom was there and mm-hmm. he like comes from a family of activists. So to have his mom there and pre- it was like a, a, a beautiful moment. Like they showed her in the crowd and I was like, oh, this is, I was just excited because I'm a fan of him from a distance. Yeah. So I was just excited to see him get to do it in that way. Um, Cause I can't remember whose radio show he was on. Steve Harvey or Ricky Smiley? One of the two. Anyways, he used to listen to it. So he used to come on. But um, to see him do that and bring his mom there was really nice. Biden, Biden was funny too. You saw Biden? He was funnier? I mean, I didn't meet him in person. But Not you, that special. Did you? But he was funny? He was funny? What he did was he funny. say? What did he say? No, I mean, he do- he joked about his age. He's old. He joked about, yeah, like he played into it. He t- he joked about Tucker Carlson. Okay. Um, he jokes about the crime bill? Or? No jokes about the crime bill. Okay, cool. No jokes about the crime bill. That would have been funny. If, I, if I'm if i Biden, I'd just say, fuck it. No, like, no, he's in a re-election year. No, Maybe it, uh, it, next, it, once he gets re-elected, then he'll probably, then then he can do fuck uh, it stuff. If I'm Biden, I just say, fuck it. Nah. I, if I'm Biden, I walk up not. there and I go, Roy Wood Jr., ladies and gentlemen, that's great. The fact that he's able to stand up here and deliver that type of comedy to you guys tells me that the crime bill wasn't wholly effective. We missed something. Wow. That I would I, I would give that wow. boom. Give give him a little sound effect. I would dying. give that joke right there. But um that that's the kind of shit I would do. <laughs> Fuck it. You know what I mean? Um, you know how I realized that you guys were at the correspondence there? How? Brian posted in his tuxedo. Oh. I was leaving the gym. Mm-hmm. When I saw the post of him as tuxedo, mm-hmm. I turned right the fuck around, went back in. <laughs> no, you, <didn't>. <laughs> you think that's a fucking joke? I'm not playing at all. And did what? Like, I, and, and I said, "You think I'm playing with you? I'm not even bull- I'm like, I got some more in me. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, I, I literally looked out. I was like, Nah, this nigga look like James Bond. No, I, I, I turned around. I went back in. I was like, I got some more in me. <laughs> I didn't. You didn't, you didn't give it all. <laughs> You didn't give it all, big fella. What is wrong with you? He looked great. We had a good time. Mm-hmm. I ran a couple people who said they know you. Who? Said, um, oh, you know who I met for the first time? Sonny Hostin. Oh, Sonny. Sonny's great. And I never, because I always go when she's gone. Right. So I never met her. She's like, we've never met. And I was like, no, mm-hmm. I would remember it. Right. Yeah. Had a good conversation. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I do a podcast. I know you're feeling advanced. She was like, oh, I listen to to yeah. some episodes. Sonny's Sunny, great. Mm-hmm. Sonny's great. I'm glad you guys got a chance to meet, you know? 
because like they they could try to pit you guys against one another. I don't you, think anybody's trying to do that. They might. No. They might. So no. who else did you meet that knows me? Who else? John. John who? Legend. Oh. Yeah, John's a great guy. These are great people. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are great people and you hung out with them. Did you guys dance? He's in my fantasy football league. Oh yeah, you did. You did tell me this. Mm-hmm. And he's a big football fan. Mm-hmm. John Legend mm-hmm. knows football. Mm-hmm. He's a college football fan. Real football fan, college football fan. To me, you're not like a real football fan unless, unless you care college? about college football. I say that straight like up. Like in general? If or you like don't you just care about team. college football at all. Care. Keyword. To me, you're not that real of a football okay. fan. Okay. I, don't, I don't look at you different. I okay. don't care. I know this mad niggas is going to be like, I'm from New York. I'm, I'm like the Giants. You know what I'm saying? I'm from the Bronx. We don't care about that college. Nah, y'all not, it's not, it's not real. You know what I'm saying? It's not mm-hmm. real, you know? It's like where I'm from, care about football all the way down. Well, of course. Top We're to from the bottom. South. It's, Start it's off South different. Baton, I, if, if I'm home, when I go home, I'll go home. And you go local game? Day, I'll go to a South Baton Rouge Rams game. That's okay. the kids' team. You know, that's okay. the kids' South Baton Rouge Rams. I'll go to the kids' game. Okay. Shout out Chris Toombs. Shout out everybody over there involved. Because that's what people, Michael Clayton, Marcus Spears, South Baton Rouge Rams. They, they, we grow them early from right there. And then they go. I mean, I'm from Texas. We yeah, do I too. I, know like, you guys, I mean, we, Louisiana's better than Texas for football. Fans. Facts. No, it's not. It's absolutely facts. Louisiana is better. Texas is a bigger state. Per capita, Louisiana puts more people in the NFL than any other state. I don't know that statistic, so I'm not going to argue with you. That's facts. You guys are bigger. Y'all got a lot of white boys, and that's cool. They play quarterback. They throw the ball around. But in overall, Louisiana feel, is better I feel like this not, it's Texas. not even quarterbacks that, that, that you can just hype up. Oh, like, no. Quarter, no we, Texas like, got mad quarterbacks. No, but we got black players that do. You're like, y'all got white boys. Yeah. <laughs> we don't put on the I, I don't have a laptop. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to challenge you on the statistic right now. But don't act like Texas is not synonymous with football. Uh, Texas is phenom- synonymous with football because of hype. Okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like hype. But I'll tell you straight up, Louisiana, it's a better, it's, it's overall, we, we have a higher, you know what I'm saying? Alabama, okay, so I got now, some statistics. What? I got some numbers. I'm looking at no, it now. No, I want to hear from Donnie. Well, well, we're, well, okay, go ahead. Well, I guess the source matters. Um, I'm on actionnetwork.com and they say that Texas has 211 active NFL players. And Louisiana has 102. It's uh, Donnie. See this one. This this is my problem. Thank you, Donnie. Thank you. Okay, Thank Don, you so much. Okay, Donnie. Donnie, hold on for a second. This is my problem with idiots. I'm just throwing numbers out there. So 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 th- so this is my problem, Donnie. How many people are in Texas? Okay, let me find the numbers. Hold on. It's more than Louisiana. So so Texas has 29 million people in the state. Now, how many people are in Louisiana? Seven million people. Listen. So, obviously, the gross numbers, they're going to have more people. That's why you have to use per capita. Okay. But get the statistics to fit your narrative. We got more players in the NFL. You got... I don't care that we have 29 million people this in is Texas. This my problem with... My is, point is that Texas is synonymous with football. Texas like people is synonymous think about, with it's football It's not just hype. So, why te- we have more people? Texas is synonymous with football because Texas does have a very strong football culture. That's facts. I'm telling that's I'm not even joking about that. That's facts. What I'm telling you right now is that Louisiana produces more players per, per capita, capita. And to me, better players than Texas. So you can keep your opinions to yourself. That's fine. What's the best quarterback ever from Texas? 
that ever came from Texas. Oh, what's the best quarterback that ever came from Louisiana? Peyton hey, Manning. Let me look. What's the best running back? Oh, that is that where he was born? Yeah, he's from New Orleans. He's a fake ass Louisianian, but one all the same. Louisiana. Marshall Falk. Okay? Right? Even right now, currently in the league, Devontae Smith, Louisiana. Odell Beckham Jr., Louisiana. Jamar Chase, Louisiana. Justin Jefferson, Louisiana. Like, I can, I can just continue to go on, up, and down. Leonard Fournette, Louisiana. Like, I could just keep going up and down the list. We do our thing, and we don't get credit because Texas got 30 million people in it. You get credit. Nobody's denying that good football, or is not saying good football players don't come from Louisiana. We just have more. See, he's got more people. You know what? I'm so annoyed now. This, this whole thing has bothered me. Anyways, we'll go back to the White House Correspondence Center. It mm-hmm. was great. You liked it. You know what I was really excited to see? Oh. Jonathan Lemire. <laughs> I watched Morning Joe every morning. I didn't see Joe Scarborough, but I was like, Jonathan Lemire. You like Morning Joe? I do. It's a good show. I, I, I enjoy it. Yeah. But I mean, every, everybody was there. Who else? Give um, me somebody else. Um, I met John Fetterman and his wife. Oh. I met the two Justins. They were there? They, they were, were there. They were protesting outside. Yeah, but I didn't see for what. I kept my head they down. They were protesting outside just kept for, walking. Uh, I think, the environment. I saw that they were protesting outside. They were protesting. I just kept Wait a minute. Moving. So the Justins protested, then they came inside? No. Oh, wait. They were protesting. Yeah, one of the oh, Justins there were was protesters, outside. Oh, one of the I... Justins was outside protesting, or at least... I feel like he he joined no he Justin Pearson joins White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, protest. Um, he they were calling for uh, a climate fight for justice. So, oh, what I didn't realize was that he joined Attended. the protest. Joined the protest, <laughs> then went inside. Yeah, I met them both. If that's not a motherfucking politician. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Like, if, it's, if, if that's not a motherfucking politician right there, if that I thought that he was, I thought that he showed up and protested. No. And then... Which one is which one is that? With the afro or the ponytail? Afro. That's Dr. Martin yeah. Luther King Jr. He was there with his wife. Yeah. Shout I, out to him. I like him. I took pictures of both. I said, we, we, we talk about you on our podcast. Love for you to have you come on. You know, appreciate the work you do. I did the whole thing. I was excited to meet the Justins. Mm-hmm. They both were there. They both. They both were there. They both, but I'm saying they both protested. Okay, they, and then they, they called for, and then they and went they inside. pulled out their tickets and they went inside. You know, I guess if you think about it deeper, maybe that's what you want. No, for some reason, it doesn't feel right. It feels like either you you protest outside, or you go to the dinner. It doesn't feel like you do both. But what was the protest about? Climate justice. They weren't. They weren't climate shit now. I think it would depend on what they were pro- if the pro- if justice. the protest was directly tied to what was happening inside the dinner, mm-hmm. then it would feel wrong. But it really wasn't. So well, no, they're calling out President Biden over certain things that he's done and certain decisions that he's made and they're asking him to do things. Um and they're asking him to be sort of a, a more they were asking for more direct action on climate. I mean, they. I don't think that then I don't think it's bad that they went inside because the whole correspondence center is about celebrating the First Amendment and celebrating journalists, not necessarily particularly Biden. Biden is there. He speaks. He does. He does his jokes. He talks about certain things in regards to, you know, freedom of the press, 
freedom of speech. But then that then if they went out and protested and then they came inside, I mean, I don't think I don't think it discredits anything that they I don't think it discredits anything. I think ideally for me, it's better if there's somebody protesting and somebody inside and those people are simpatico. I, for some reason, would want two people there instead of somebody that protests then goes inside. I think this is an interesting thought exercise just because it seems to me that you kind of can't have it both ways there. I think you can because it's impactful because we're talking about it right now. They were there. I was there and I didn't know what they were protesting. Now we're talking about them being there and the fact they protested and what they were protesting about. Their presence alone to that protest brings more attention to it. Mm -hmm. And then they go inside and I'm sure they were talking about it to people, you know? So I, I, I don't know if that's typically done by people who attend the correspondence dinner. They accused, uh, accused Biden of ecocide. And I'm I'm looking at that right now. Look, here's the, I get it in a perfect world. Yes, um, I understand it. It It's interesting to me whenever politicians try to become activists. I don't think that politicians make good activists. I think they make very poor activists. I think pol- uh, politics uh, itself, um, there are too many platitudes, too many deals, too many things that you have to do in order to be effective in that arena that are always going to uh, water down and depower any activism that you would do. Active activists, Politicians don't make good activists. Can an activist make a good politician? Once an activist becomes a politician, they're now a politician and not an activist. Okay. I think that activists and politicians should work together, together not be one and the same. Gotcha. So, uh, as, you know, Dr. King can push um, LBJ to pass things, to talk about things, to do different things. He can be a part of that political process. But the moment that you become the president and the moment that you run for office, there are a lot of things that are going to take away the purity of a message that you should have as an activist. So that's all I'm saying. But look, hey, those guys are great. I love them. Yes, I'm excited to see them. uh, Good to see them both. Um, And, you know, they're not in a position right now to see the people outside talking about it and then just pass them up. They got I got to stop outside and say something. All right. Uh, another discussion. Also, Ayanna Presley. I just want to say shout out to her. Ayanna Presley was there? Congresswoman. I, let me give her her respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did you ask? You guys, did you talk to her? Yeah, she saw me and she introduced herself. I go, I know exactly who you are. Oh, she introduced <laughs> herself to you? I was like, I know Rachel, who you are. Rachel, can I be, a, can I, be a, I was a, like, are you kidding me? Do you ever, do you feel like you downplay your litmus? You try to act like you're not lit sometimes. Maybe I don't, you lit no, fun. because I don't, I don't, it was a, it was different. I wasn't expecting that. Cause I, you know, like I thought, I was like, are you kidding me? I love the squad. Donnie. <laughs> no, I Donnie. don't. I don't, I'm not. Is Donnie there? Yeah. What's up? Is Rachel lit? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Donnie, you're sweet. Like Rachel. Rachel. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a word I don't even use. That's a word I don't use. That's not in my, my vocabulary, but I agree with you. I agree Thank with you. Thank you, Donnie. You're redeemed for the horrible Texas, Louisiana situation. Right, you, hey, you, man, you, facts. You've come back. Just numbers. Like, what, like, does Rachel try to downplay how lit she is? Yes. So Humility is cool, though, too. That's also dope. Our humble so queen. those are two I dope so things. Great. I just never walk into a space and assume people know who I am. Yeah. Ever. You're on a bachelorette. People know you. 
Maybe I just don't want people to know me you're from trailblazing. The Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, you know that you're the you're the Jackie Robinson <laughs> Stop. of ABC. <laughs> Stop. I think Z-Way said I was the Rosa Parks. <laughs> and I was like, please stop. Great. Stop. All right. Uh, other side of this break. The fun of pleasantries comes to an end uh, with a terrible story from Texas. This episode is brought to you by Shea Moisture. We finally got some deodorants designed specifically for people with rich melanin skin from Shea Moisture. And they're amazing. Made with Shea butter and black dermatologist approved these deodorants give you and your skin the care that it needs. Now, here's the thing, Rachel. Okay. The deodorants came to the house. Yes, me too. You got yours. I got them. Kalika picked one up mm-hmm. specifically. And I was like, oh, why are you picking that one up? And she said, because it says it's even underarm tone. Mm-hmm. And she goes like, sometimes when you use the other deodorants, they leave like your underarms untoned or something like that. And she was so excited to have it. She went back and she started using it right there, which made me wonder if she had put deodorant on for the day. <laughs> maybe she just reapplied. Maybe she, but, but like, so that's a, it's a huge deal. And I've been using it too. It's very great. It's good. It smells good. And all yeah. Thing. No, no, no. It is good. And it's last long. Like mm. I'm a sweater. Mm-hmm. So I need something strong. Mm. And I need, in addition to, I like that it evens out the underarm. I like the moisture and all of that, but it's the, I need it to last long. And this lasts for, it's a 48 hour sweat and odor protection, which is key. Wow. Uh, get the protection your skin deserves. Tap the banner to learn more or visit SheaMoisture.com. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. All right, a Texas man fatally shoots five neighbors after he was asked to stop firing in his yard. Um, this happened Saturday morning. One of the neighbors asked him to stop firing rounds in his yard because of the noise. Francisco Oropeza is the man's name. He fled the scene and uh, is not in custody as of this recording. The manhunt is on going. He was firing a 223 chambered AR-15 style rifle. He was asked to stop firing it because it was loud. He was in his yard doing it. And apparently after that, he walked into his neighbor's house and killed five people, shot them all in the head. Uh, and when I say kill five people, we're talking about um, uh, women, children, um, ages 25, 21, 31, 18, and 9, um, all from Honduras. Uh, Rachel, this story broke, I think, probably while you were in D.C. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? I mean, here we are talking about it again. It's like gun culture is American culture. Gun violence is American culture. It's so embedded in our society that as sure as you're going to see, I don't know, a car wreck on the freeway, 
you're going to hear about some type of mass shooting or gun violence. It's, it's, and, and it's so unique to the United States. And like, you know, we can, we can get on here and we can discuss like, you know, why things are the way that they are or why America is so, it's such a bigger problem for America than any other country. Um, in this in this world, we can do all that. We can talk about like what the NRA says and 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 why it's it's not it's not a people problem. It's or it's a mental health problem. Like and you can go back and forth with these statistics. But the issue is that the way that we look at civilians possessing guns and how ingrained that is in our culture, in our politics, and even in our laws, that. This is our reality and this is what we come to expect. It's just you're going to wake up each day and, and you know, like dread looking at the alert on your phone of another mass shooting and nothing's changing. And I don't, at this point, nothing is going to change. It's almost like, how do you, how do you survive and function in this culture? And I don't know what that is, especially when the shootings are so random knocking on the door, the wrong door, pulling into the wrong driveway, knocking on um, the wrong car, car door, uh, asking your neighbor to stop shooting, going to a birthday party, a grocery store, a church. I mean, a mall, a movie theater. It's how, how do you prevent it? Right. How do you protect yourself at this point? And the answer is not everybody strapped up and carrying their own gun. That's not the answer. Um. So obviously this was going to be uh, politicized. And it was by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. Mm. Um, he called the victims here illegal immigrants. He says, I've announced a 50K reward for the info, info and the criminal who killed five illegal immigrants today. What a piece of shit. I continue working with the state, with, with state and local officials to ensure they have all available resources to respond to this horrific crime. Our hearts go out to the families and loved ones of the five victims that were taken in this senseless act of tragedy. Uh, the governor's office has walked that statement back since the immigration status of various members of the family uh, has been found out. And the governor was wrong about parts of what he said. And after pressure from different groups, uh, they've walked that back just a little bit. Um, and of course, the shooter in this case it's been widely discussed that this gentleman has been deported a couple of times and had been is in the uh, in the country illegally and has been arrested before has been arrested before for DUIs um ICE had deported him a couple of different times a couple of different years um he had been sentenced to uh, driving while intoxicated in January 2012 um and then in January 16, 2016, he was deported. In September 20, 2009, uh, he was deported um, a couple of times. Here's the thing. So that opens us up to be volleyed around as a political football, like a family slaughtered because they uh, dare to ask somebody to stop shooting the AR-15 in their front yard. That So what's going to be talked about now is the fact that this guy should have never been in the United States in the first place. The fact that uh, maybe the parts of the family shouldn't have been in the United States in right. the first place. So the right is going to have you believe that there shouldn't have been a victim. There shouldn't have been a shooter mm -hmm. in their perfect um, 
ethnically clean world, you wouldn't have had these people in the country. And that, to me, ignores one huge fact. Let's say everyone here is undocumented. Just for the sake of of argument. They're not. Okay? They're not. Um, And this guy's status as to how he got in the country initially is is still up for debate. There's still um, information coming out. The question would be, if this is a person, the shooter, with a criminal record that had been deported a couple of different times by ICE, um, that seems to have a pretty well-documented drinking problem, how did they get an AR-15? Right. And that's the only question that if anybody cares about what's going on here, we'll ask. It's the only question. It's not where he came from. Mm-hmm. It's not where they came from. It's how somebody that so obviously is unqualified to have a gun like that. It's how they got it. Because I want you to remember for everyone, in the majority of these cases that we're talking about, the first thing that you hear is the gun was obtained legally. And that's important for people to say because they want people to know the ease of access to getting a weapon like that. To pick one up. People that are talking about trying to stem the tide in terms of gun violence and mass shootings, what the most sensible of those people are talking about are making sure that people that have a proclivity to violence or that are prone to it can't access the most dangerous weapons they can get in their hands. And for a citizen like this guy who is obviously irresponsible, and it seems at least by looking at this right now, DUI is a felony, is it not? I think so, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, It seems to be a felon. Like how he would get his hands on the gun. And we can sort of ask a bunch of different questions and kind of throw it out there in all kinds of different ways. Uh, could have been somebody else's gun. Did he, uh, is it somebody who was, he was living with? Did they have the gun? Like how did he, the gun was familiar enough to him that this wasn't the first time that they had had issues with him shooting it. It seemed to be a weapon that he knew how to use. It seemed to be a weapon that he had in his possession that seems to be his rifle. And that in and of itself is the entire problem with what we're discussing. There's two different conversations to be had. One is about people, the other one is about guns. Obviously, there's a point in which those two conversations intersect. Of course there is. Sure. But we have to have one first. And that's just, that's the way that it is. We have to have one first. And the first conversation we have to have is about the guns. Right. DWI is a misdemeanor for the first offense in Texas. DWI is a misdemeanor. Just FYI. Okay, cool. Um, But that's the whole purpose. You're absolutely right. And these politicians know that the conversation should first be about guns, which is why that tweet came from Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott purposefully tweeted that they were illegal 
because that was his way of showing that it was a trying to show that it was a people problem rather than actual guns. So before you start the conversation of guns are an issue, he obtained this gun illegally, he never should have had it, all of that, everything that you just laid out, he's trying to put first the fact that this person should have never had the gun. The person who pulled the trigger is the problem, not the guns. Mm -hmm. And that's the dance that we're going to continue to see whenever we come, we're faced with one of these mass shootings. It's a dance between the two. And they'll never put the guns first because it's too ingrained in our society. I mean, the amount of the, the number of guns that exist in the United States, I believe I read a statistic is more, more there are more guns than people, right? Of course. More guns yeah. than people in the United States. And the fact, the ones that you can get, and that's not even counting the black market ones, mm-hmm. which most likely is how this guy obtained it. Um, so I'll, I think there's another reason why uh, Governor Abbott described the victims the way he did. I think it was to, um, I think it was intimate to people that they didn't have to worry about it as much. It was to what? I personally think that the only reason why you say illegal immigrants were shot is to dog whistle to people that this is not one that you have to be concerned about. You have to care about, right. To, 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 no, I can't talk, to devalue their life. Yeah. Absolutely. That too. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I would say that we're going to keep going through this until we decide that we're going to do something about it, but we're not. We're not. We're going to push it around by the, ER, uh, the NRA. We're going to have conversations in good faith until we good faith ourselves right into getting shot in the fucking face. That's the way that it goes. All right. Um, white families. What's your feeling? Of? What's your feeling of like white You're families? You're going to have to give me more. It's like a white family, you know? Like a black man, white family. What's your, what's it? all this family is like white. Maybe not even white, but they're just like, I'm going to, I'm not, I need more. So, a black man and a white family. Just before, before we even get into it, just white, black man, white family. Oh, he's black. And then all of his relatives are like white or like. By marriage? Latino. Yeah. By, you know. Yeah. He loves them. He loves them more than he well, loves his, this, his other kids. Oh, he loves them more. Yeah, that's, that's what it seems like. Well, that's a problem. Is, you feel like that's a problem? It's just, why are you loving one kid more than the other? You don't feel like people do that? I don't think people are outspoken about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think parents have their favorites, but I don't think that they say it out loud. And if they do, they shouldn't. Brian McKnight seemingly has told his black family that he is not coming back at one. <laughs> this nigga's never coming back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, it seems as if... What is wrong with you? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's keeping his black family on the down low because he's never felt this way as he feels right now about his new non-black family. All right? And people are mad. He's, he posted something on Instagram. It shows his stepdaughter, Julia. She's posing in front of a car that he and his wife Gave her for her birthday, and that bitch is crazy. Mm-hmm. That bitch is crazy. Like, Julia got like a, what is it, a BMW or a Mercedes or something? That bitch is fucking crazy. I saw Julia driving that shot to Julia, man. And um, 
he, under it, he said, I couldn't ask for a better daughter than you. Happy birthday to the best daughter. Love you a zillion. Happy birthday to the best daughter. Love you a zillion. He has three biological children from previous relationships. Ryan Jr., Brianna, and Nico. His second wife is Dr. Lilani Mendoza. He met her in 2014. She has two children for, from a previous relationship, Julia and Jack. They have since had a son, Brian Jr. So this nigga has two Brian Juniors. <laughs> this nigga had a Brian Jr. before. This is some nasty work. I'm sorry, bro. I got I to gotta blame the doctor as well in this. This you nigga had two Brian Juniors before. To do a Brian Jr. He had Brian Jr. before. He got another Brian Jr. He took a fucking mulligan. He said the first one didn't count. And so, uh, you know, it seems like That's he's ignoring he his, Seems. It seems like he's ignoring his biological children. And people are mad because there's a racial component here. Because It don't matter about the <laughs> racial component. They should just be mad, period. If he did this with another black woman, sure, that's a problem as well. But of course, people are saying, well, it seems like you don't care about your kids because they're black and now you've moved on to this. I'm not sure her ethnicity. Yeah. You've moved on to a non-black woman and you seem to value her, your stepchildren and the child that you've made with her more than your th- other three biological children with a black woman. Mm. What's, what happened to Brian McKnight? Or has he always been like this? What you mean what happened to him? This isn't the first time that he's been accused of abandoning his children. It's like every couple of years we go through this with Brian McKnight. He says he does something outrageous where it's like, what the fuck is wrong with Brian McKnight? I never knew this. Everybody yes. has all of these issues with Brian McKnight. I only knew him as a tall dude with a decent jump shot, actually a good jump shot, who has a velvety voice. I never knew there was all of these issues with Brian McKnight. But people are mad, man. Like, I'd say in the two, once he divorced his wife and then he was making these songs with these titles, people had issues with them. He had, so with the doctor that he's married to right now, they had a child. Uh, they were pregnant before and they lost that child. And this is what he wrote. For the very first time in my life, I got to experience what it was like to want to and plan to have a child made from love. And even though he was separated from us too soon, I wouldn't trade that gift you gave me for anything in the whole world. I've never been, he goes on to say, I've never been prouder in my life than I am right now being the father to our three incredible children. So that was prior mm-hmm. to this moment. So he has a history of ignoring the first three children, basically saying he did not want them or plan to have them and they were not made from love. Brian's words. Yeah. <laughs> I can't listen to a Brian McKnight song the same You're way. You're off Brian McKnight because of this? I've been off him though. This, like, because like, I knew song, he was already like this. But in what this. song did he ever say that he was like a great dad? It's not even that. I don't you know? even want to support. I like, I can't, I can't feel his music the same way. Mm. <laughs> Just knowing that he's this deadbeat father. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at, you know, the, the, the song titles here from Brian McKnight. Which album? Just all of them. Brian McKnight is a great artist. I, what I'm wondering about is this, because everybody's upset. And obviously guys, there's sometimes something that men do with their second family that's fucked up. We know this. It went bad with mama and then like the second family is like, oh my God, this is when I was on top and I get to choose all of this stuff. 
and you just wonder like what somebody is thinking like like how your children are supposed to feel when they say hey this is man of love and it was planned and all of that but then with this one just the visual I don't give a fuck what nobody say that's funny as fuck it's funny as fuck to see Brian McKnight looking like a six foot five California raisin <laughs> standing next <laughs> to, his, to his family. You know what I mean? And talking about, yo, this is all my family. You know, it's a bunch of motherfucking black people out there going, yo, where the fuck is my dad? It's just, I don't give a fuck what nobody say. There is some deep, deep, deep down. Because look, I would never even want to, my thing is this, I wouldn't even want to come off that way. Like, I wouldn't even want people to think. It's because you care. I wouldn't want to even come off that way. To This might this seem like a sketch. Like, he's got to look crazy. He does not care. This is what I said, what happened to him. So in 2019, when, when people were on him, okay, mm-hmm. they've been on him. He's yeah, been it. exposed. He's been out there. He put out a video. So if you thought that was bad, he said, it was important to let you guys know and set the record straight. These kids are 30 and 27, not 12. It's time for grown men to be grown men. And I'm sorry that tough love happens to be this way. And I do wish them the best. Wow. He does not care. He doesn't care. So, I mean, what's, what's, what was the point of that? Like, what's the point? The point is that your kids get to a certain age and then they're not your kids no more? But yeah, like they're grown men. Like, they but he doesn't even acknowledge it. That doesn't mean that that's what's so messed up about this. Okay, we get that they're adults and they're grown, but does that mean that you stop acknowledging your kids after they get past a certain age? Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. Brian, if he's trying to make another album, records, record sales, well, he did recently have an album because people were tripping about the, the type of his lyrics. Yeah. Look, I don't know, man. I, it, I, what, I, what I, you know what I, you know what I feel like, really? Like, I wish I didn't know this. See? It affects it. Well, it's, it no, affects it's, it's, you. It's, it's just, there's something that's happening. The inter- I'm serious. The internet is extending our knowledge of celebrities to a point to where they can't help but do some really fucked up crazy shit. Okay, that's not what this is. What, what I'm saying is that, like, there used to be a point, and I'm just throwing this out there, there used to be a point to where somebody was famous, and then one day it was like, oh, what happened to them? And, like, you never saw them. Sure. Unless it was, like, BET, where are they now? Or if, you know, Motown 35 with, with Brian McKnight, and he comes out and then he sings... Uh, never felt this way, and then it's gone. And then you see in the crowd this new family clapping, and you go, what the fuck? Oh, they must have got a divorce, and you didn't know. But now, because of Instagram, because of Twitter, because of all of this stuff, all of the fucked up parts of these people's lives, it just continuously comes out, and then it's another person that you got to look at their discography crazy. I, and, and I'm not saying that you, obviously, I would still listen to Brian McKnight if I want to listen to Brian McKnight. He's a bad dad or he's a fucked up dad or whatever. It's like, whatever. That's not the line for me. But I'm saying it's just like, I, there was a time where people were famous for a while and then they just like went away. Sure. And now because they're not going away, I feel like we know too much about everybody. Everybody keeps 
going on. We and, do. You know, I understand what you're saying, but that is not the case with Brian. It's not like that somebody dug up some old tweets. This man is outwardly presenting himself to the world as a deadbeat dad and doesn't care. But if if this were 95, it would be no way for him to do that. If this were 95... You know what? He would, he if, would be if, doing it in private. He would be doing it. His kids would still be suffering. Right. He'd still be the same terrible father that he is to, to more than half of his children. But we just wouldn't know about it. Is that better? So we would still be buying his records. It's better for me. We'd still be... Okay, so ignorance is bliss to you when it comes to your favorite celebrities. It's, it's cool, better, we it's, got it's, it. It's better for me. It's better for me because... I look at him totally different now, and it's just so like, you know, you know, but I don't even need Brian now. You know what I've been, you know, I've been listening to? Maxwell. H-Town. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to They Like It Slow. Coming by that ain't gonna go nice and slow. Dino. Don't you know They <laughs> Like It Slow? Like, if you listen to the chorus of that song, I've been listening to They Like It Slow. Like, just that song? Oh, my God, man. Like, well, I mean, I'm from Texas. I'm familiar with the to, H-Town. I've been listening to They Like It Slow, and he talks about in the song how you're supposed to make love slowly to your lady. I tell you straight up right now, you R&B niggas out there, y'all done fell way the fuck off. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I, I listened to, so look, look the shit I've been Bring listening to Bring one of your morning. R&B friends to come they, on and these, contest The R&B this. niggas out here, just straight up, y'all done fell way the fuck off. I listened to They Like It Slow this morning. I listened to Knocking the Boost this morning. What kind I listened of mood to did you Phoenix. wake up in? I listened to Week by SWV. I listen to these motherfucking records, right? No, H-Town is fantastic. Fantastic. No one would consider H-Town as one of the pioneering American well, groups. Well, they had the depth to say. I, I understand that. But what I'm saying is H-Town is just infinitely better than most then of the who? motherfuckers then putting who? R&B then out who? right now. I'm just saying. H-Town. Oh, right now. I go, I go back and I listen to H-Town right now and I listen to them sing and... They were a hit group, and they're better than, like, to me, anybody out that's out right now doing R&B. H-Town is one of the first things that Brian and I connected on. Brian like H-Town? Loves H-Town. I bet he does. <laughs> nice. They're about that angle. Dottie, you ever heard that shit? Nice and slow? Now, they like it slow? Yeah, I like that. And um, that uh, Emotions song. Part-time lover? Oh, yeah. But what? Emotions. Oh, yeah. how did I forget about Emotions? Oh, Good job, Donnie. Going. Look. Do you want to go fast? <laughs> <laughs> Roger Troutman. You want to go fast? Nah, you got to go slow. Now watch, watch when it watch when it comes in. When it comes in, it's so perfect because it'll get you in the mood. Watch. Very slow. Stop. I'm telling you, like, <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Like that shit is that's that's the R and B that we need. Donnie hit the nail on the head though with emotions. What? Because we were out there singing them ages. Now that I'm nice to play emotions, play emotions. Emotions by H Town? You don't know it? I don't know emotions. <gasps> Donnie! I don't know emotions by H Town. Oh, emotions man. make you cry sometimes. I don't know that. I don't know that. I know. And now that know, I'm 19. I only know a couple of H-Town songs. These are the songs that I know. Well, you're part of the problem. I, no, no. You ain't listening to all of H-Town. No, no, hold you're going to throw I'm it out there. The you better know like. H-Town. I'm listening to Knocking the Boots, A Thin Line Between Love and Hate. Emotions yeah, might be one of their biggest they like, hits. Let me see. Maybe. Do, do I know this one? Do I know this joint? Oh, I do know this joint. This is a gospel joint. It's kind of like a gospel song. It's not song. a gospel joint. I know joint. this song. But I, this one is not on the level of a They Like It Slow. 
Come on. Y'all, y'all not fucking with H Town. Period. Like, like RB niggas today. Fuck with y'all not fucking with H Town. <laughs> I'm sorry. Y'all not like y'all not fucking with H Town. Nice and slow. They like it slow. The uh, nice and slow is Usher. Um, Jack Harlow says he's the hardest white boy after Eminem on a new song. I can't believe we're covering this. Um, <laughs> like so. uh, actually, you know what? I don't really give a fuck about this. Good. I, I, if Jack says that, that's true. <laughs> Is that how you? Feel? I, I don't. I, I, I'm trying. Like I tried to. You know, it's we're light on political topics. It's Monday. If Jack says that, that's facts. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I think that was taken out of context when you listen to the whole thing, but that's just me. I, don't, I think he said he was striving to be. I didn't think he said that he actually well, is. If you're Jack Harlow, why would you be striving to be the hardest white boy after Eminem? Why don't you, why don't you strive to be the hardest white boy, period? I think he's just knowing that he won't be better than Eminem. You don't think there's any way that Jack Harlow could be better than Eminem? No. The Roots said, and I had to quote this because this made me laugh. They said, even though Jack Harlow will never have bars, the one thing he will always have is the audacity. God damn. That, that was the Can first sentence of the article. I said, oh my God, that was ruthless. Can I ask a question? What made people just turn on Jack Harlow? Okay. Because Jack Harlow, because the, 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 the Jack Harlow backlash, the sort of we're not fucking with Jack Harlow thing it's, came it's, quick. It did. And I feel like something happened. What? Was it the KFC deal? Or probably Brandy? <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it be was before that. It's almost like when he changed his image. Because, you know, like he, he didn't... Look at what Jack Harlow looked like when he started yeah. to now. So I don't know if people changed out of them. I don't know. But I agree with you. I don't... Like, Black people are not fucking with Jack Harlow right now. Mm-hmm. But when did it happen? Because I don't know if I, if I would say that black people aren't fucking with Jack Harlow. A I would lot think, of well, you black think a lot media of, seems to not be. It seems that people are jumping off the Jack media. Harlow bandwagon. And this is what I think happens with that. I think that to be a white rapper, because we've seen this before, to be a white rapper, your shit has to be so undeniable. Like, your shit has to be so undeniable. Like, America doesn't really accept rampant mediocrity from, from white rappers. Because, like... That's you, the only time they don't say accept mediocrity. Facts. Mediocrity from white folks. Because um, think about it. You come on, you're, you're Macklemore, you're coming on, you're doing your thing. Macklemore... God, I don't consider him a rapper, but okay. Macklemore is definitely a rapper. I just... I, Macklemore I, I, I know, I know. You, I know because of the you, Grammy, but I just think of him as pop. I mean, he's a... Whatever. So if you come up and you do your thing and then like you you don't have another level or another gear, people would be like, we got mediocre black niggas. Like, we got mediocre black rappers. Why do we need a mediocre white rapper? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying Jack Harlow is mediocre by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think he is either. But 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 I think a lot of people think that he he is. And it just, because... It seemed like the hate came out of nowhere. And they, and he can't catch a break because he's got this new song and this is where he has the lyric. And then he also has, I don't know if it's on this song or another song where he's talking about uh, cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and he's calling out white kids in the suburbs. And they're like, that's you. What you don't get is you're talking about yourself. And I'm like, damn, Jack Harlow can't catch a break. This is black media talking. Is it cultural appropriation just to rap? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't think so. I think if you, if you become, if you're like an Iggy Azalea where you don't talk 
anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then your so your rap is also the way that you the way that you rap. You're trying to sound like what you think is black, and your whole image is black. She's cultural appropriation. Let's call Mouse. Mouse Jones. Noted New York podcaster. Someone who always has a lot of things to say about white rappers in the culture. Let's call Mouse Jones. Ask what he thinks about and Jack Harlow first. what Mouse thinks about Jack Harlow. Let's call Mouse. Van, what's poppin'? Mouse, you are on higher learning right now. I'm on higher learning? Yes, yes, you're on higher learning right now because we have to ask you, we're talking about Jack Harlow. We, I, I needed to know what Mouse, noted fan of white rappers, <laughs> thinks about Jack Harlow. Miles, what's up? I, I don't think about Jack Harlow at all. He does not. He, he does not come across any playlist of mine. Um, I think his output. I think his out outputting get lazier and lazier. Um, by the project, especially his last one. Ain't nobody asked for it. He still gave us that whack ass project. God damn. Yeah, I think I think Jack Harlow is the the white boy of the moment. Um, it is no need for rappers to get um, concerned or hip hop at large to be concerned and think there's a white invasion. He is just the current white rapper who will move along in about two more projects, and then he'll be doing like acting or like he'll be getting credited for like stepping away from hip hop and doing some weird ass other music but you know it's the kid rock the the kid rock the the uh what's the kid's name now post malone all these people it's just a matter of time before he blends hip-hop and there's this other thing and then tries to keep them hip-hop and so it's like lazy mouse like post malone did hi mouse rachel um hi rachel <laughs> hi um, so we were trying to figure out when it seems like, because I feel like when Jack Harlow first came out, people were really fucking with him. Mouse loved him. And no, then, Mouse did not. Yes, you did. <laughs> and Mouse it seems not. as of recent that, I would say in the last year, mm -hmm. that black media is kind of really off Jack Harlow, not giving him a break. Like everything that he does, they're scrutinizing. I think, and I just looked this up, it seems like it was after he got that nomination at the BET Awards. When did it? Ha when do you think it happened? Or do you think that black people were never really on Jack Harlow? Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, black people were never on Jack Harlow. Black black people aren't the reason that Jack Harlow popped. He that was you know he that might he we might have been the reason or black people might have been the reason he got a few quote unquote cultural looks, but Jack Harlow wasn't. He he was never being championed by by black people. He had. The Tyler Hero record, which is a no, which is an ode to another white person in a different. That record sucks. Um, he had the he had the what's he had the what's popping remix. I like that. And then you know drama drama signed him. Drama uses drama seen an opportunity to make some money. Drama said this will work. He was he was probably I, I don't know how, but he was probably impressed by whatever mediocre talent that Jack Holler possesses. And then uses uses you know, Rolodex to get him some big looks. And, you know, that's a huge, he's over there at Atlantic. That's an unlimited production budget. So he's going to get the Gwen Stefani remixes and he's going to get the Pharrell samples cleared and all that shit for that second album. That was super lazy. Um, I, I will say there's like two or three songs that I do like on that second project. But yeah, other than that, it's, 
it's just lazy. Like, and I, I think he's giving his best, but it's just laziness. Yeah. Miles, who's the greatest? Who, who, who is the, the best white rapper ever? Who's the best? <laughs> Miles, who's the best white rapper ever? Michael Jackson. Get the fuck off my phone, nigga. Bye. <laughs> it's Miles Jones. You'll hear me on this podcast next week. I'll be in New York. Um, all right, you know, shout out to drama, man. Shout out to Generation Now. I have no issues with Jack Harlow. It, it, you know, it's not for me, but I see why people like it. Jack of rap. You know, it, it's it, it's just, you know, people not fucking with it no more. It, it seems to be over. People are looking for reasons to hate. Once people start looking for reasons to hate, it gets hard to overcome. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking, too, about the collaborations that he's had with other rappers and if that's the reason that, you know, he came on so fast, too. Other, but I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, who else has he rapped with other than Lil Nas X? No, Drake. Drake. Uh, the Lil Nas uh, Drake. X feature was I've, dope. I've, like, absolutely, I'll, Drake. Jack, I think it was the BET Awards. I think that the hate people, for Jack people really is misplaced. Is the BET worth? Even Nas tweeted something and he had, he deleted it. People were upset that he got nominated for that. They remember Macklemore, even though that was the Grammy, and they didn't want that to happen again. I think that's when people I, turned I'll be on him. With you. I personally don't think that you should be able to be nominated for a BET award if you aren't black. But so I really think that's when people turned. That was a year ago, yeah. two years ago. And I'll be. And remember, Lil Nas X was nominated, right? And so people were like, "What the fuck?" To me, I pers- I think that BET awards for black people. And look, people are going to be like, oh, it's like whatever, whatever. Let me just keep it all the way real. I'm a gatekeeper. Gatekeep. You got to gatekeep your culture because if you don't gatekeep your culture, then the gates open up and anybody can run in. And that's what happens. To me, I wouldn't, I don't think that there should be white people nominated for BET Awards. I don't give a fuck if they made the hardest hip-hop shit ever. They're going to win all the other awards. They're going to give them all kinds of shit. BET Awards should be a place where, like, a Lil Zane has a chance. You know, like, the B- I'm serious. Talking about people we ain't heard from in a while. Look, like, to me, like, the you have to keep the BET Awards pure because that's where some of the artists that aren't going to get recognition are going to be able to go to get recognition. I don't care. Fuck it. All right. Uh, on the other side of this break, Erica Dickerson and Jamila Mapp, Good Mom's Bad Choices. The name of the book is A Good Mom's Guide to Making Bad Choices. We're going to talk about motherhood. We're going to talk about the perfect baby daddy. We're going to talk about what you can and cannot do after you drop a child. This episode is brought to you by Shea Moisture. We finally got some deodorants designed specifically for people with rich melanin skin from Shea Moisture. And they're amazing. Made with Shea butter and black dermatologist approved. These deodorants give you and your skin the care that it needs. Now, here's the thing, Rachel. Okay. Deodorants came to the house. Yes, me too. You got yours. I got them. Kalika picked one up Mm -hmm. specifically. And I was like, oh, why are you picking that one up? And she said, because it says it's even underarm tone. Mm-hmm. And she goes like, sometimes when you use the other deodorants, they leave like your underarms untoned or something like that. And she was so excited to have it. She went back and she started using it right there, which made me wonder if she had put deodorant off the day. <laughs> maybe she just reapplied. Maybe she, but, but like, so that's a, it's a huge deal. And I've been using it too. It's very great. It's good. It smells good. Oh, yeah. Thing. No, no, no. It is good. And it's last long. Like mm-hmm. I'm a sweater. Mm-hmm. So I need something strong. 
Mm. And I need, in addition to, I like that it evens out the underarm. I like the moisture and all of that, but it's the, I need it to last long. And this last for, it's a 48 hour sweat and odor protection, which is key. Wow. Uh, get the protection your skin deserves. Tap the banner to learn more or visit SheaMoisture.com. All right, you guys, this is a book you have to buy. Okay. The name of the book is A Good Mom's Guide to Making Bad Choices. The authors of this book, Erica Dickerson, Jamila Mapp, are here with us today. They also are the hosts of one of the best podcasts out, a podcast that has grown in relevance throughout the course of its existence and is now cooking. Good Mom's Bad Choices It's the name of the podcast. These are homegirls. Erica and Mila. Mila and Erica, welcome to Higher Learning. How are you guys doing? Hi, what a wonderful, warm welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you, Van. And hello, Rachel. It's a pleasure to meet you. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you, too. I feel like listening to your podcast, I know you, which <laughs> I'm, I'm sure attributes to... There are a number of reasons why you guys are successful, but just listening to you, I'm like, I feel like I know them. <laughs> you know, you, you're very familiar to me. So, I mean, that's it's, it's great to talk to you guys in person. So thank you for coming on the show. So the book, we'll start there, A Good Mom's Guide to Making Bad Choices. I feel like that's a very interesting title because... In that title, there's an expectation. The, the expectation is the choices that moms should make. Okay, I feel like that comes with that. What do you guys feel like the expectations are that mothers should make? What are moms expected to do? Moms are expected to sacrifice their happiness, <laughs> their souls. Um, I think <laughs> for real, right. honestly, I think moms like there's this unwritten rule that once you become a mother, there's all these things you have to give up. There's all these things that you can't love or like. You have to lose your old self to kind of like dive into your child. And if you don't, like you're not a good mom. And, you know, that's really why we wrote this book to ch- and, you know, started the podcast to challenge this idea that motherhood should be self- self-sacrificial. Mm. I I think that that it appeals to me so much. I'm not a mom, but planning on being one. And I just love that you guys, you know, speak from this place of like, you don't have to lose your identity. You don't have to lose all sense of self. You can be who you are and a mom at the same time. Is that like, were you having these conversations amongst yourself and you're like, this is why we should start this podcast. This is why we should write this book. Because I feel like nobody else, especially women of color, are out here talking about you know, identity and self-love and self-care and being a mom and making mistakes in this, in the ways that you are. Well, I think that's really been the journey of our show. You know, me and Mila started the show um, not really as friends at all. We we became friends really out of desperation. Like us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So our, our audience has really joined us on the journey of getting to know us as friends. They've seen our friendship grow. And when we started the show, we really didn't think anyone was listening. So we really didn't hold back on sharing all the shit. And I don't know if we really even knew that that was the message we were delivering. I don't even know if we were all the way, had we hadn't stepped all the way into that idea. There was definitely an element in my motherhood that I felt like I had to be self-sacrificing. Um, and I think 
through our conversations, through talking to different women in the community, through our guests, through our journeys as as single moms, dating, exploring, fucking up, you know, like trying to rectify our bad choices. We've come to this understanding that, you know, if you're not aligned and really understanding that your pleasure and that that you as a woman, if you fill your cup up first, that's really how you can kind of step into being a good parent. If you are depleted and you are putting everything, putting everything, including your pleasure, second, third, fourth, fifth, you can't really show up for anyone. And I really learned that throughout mm. the course of the podcast. And um, it's been, it's it's a balance. It's, it's something we still, I think, are still trying to balance. We always say on our show, we are not perfect mothers. We do not have all the answers. And that's why we're good moms, bad choices. Let me tell you what really happened. (laughs) (laughs) What really happened was we were both really sad and we're both first moms of our group. And we were desperately looking for other women who could relate. And then we both, we like hung out, surfaced, and then we both got into, we both broke up with our partners. And that was devastating, especially as black women being like a single black mom is like this stereotypical, terrible place. And, um, she came to a birthday party that I invited her to because I heard she'd also was having a breakup. And I was like, oh, finally, someone exactly in the same position as me. And she told me, she's like, hey, girl, I joined Tender. I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, and I met a couple and they're fine as hell. And they're also parents and I'm seeing them. And I said, huh, I like this bitch more than I ever thought I did. I was like, Oh, <laughs> she's spicier than I thought. And now I really feel like there's a place for us to start a friendship. And then shortly after that, she said, I've been listening to podcasts and it was mostly murder mystery. And like, I'm not a podcast person, not mm-hmm. to, even to this day. And she was like, and there's no mommy podcast. There's really not a lot of black mom podcasts. And there's definitely not a lot of single mom podcasts. So I wanted to know if mm-hmm. you wanted to start a podcast. And I said, are you going to tell the story about your couple? And she said, yes. And then I said, okay, well, this is, I said, well, then we can do this. And then we're like, okay, we both smoke weed and we're both with the shits. And so this is where that idea was birthed from. We didn't have like a full plan. We didn't think this was going to be like a full fledged business. We didn't think that far, but her honesty, um, just being honest and transparent about where she was in her dating life as a mom made me feel comfortable to connect with her. And then we realized like, Maybe there's other moms who also are human. Let's find them. Mm-hmm. And that's where the bad choices, and in this case, was a really good choice for Erica because it was a really beautiful situation. She, you know, soiled her single oats. And so it, the moral of the story is have threesomes with married couples and find your best friend. <laughs> 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 so I'm, I'm looking at the chapters in the book. The book is broken down into three parts. And these three parts are actually the entire journey, it seems like, that you guys went through as mothers. It starts off when you find out that you're pregnant, when you've had the baby, then it goes to the breakup of the baby's father, and then it seems to have uh, a crescendo with understanding who you are and like stepping into your truth as a fully formed woman and mother, which is, I think that's very interesting to me and very powerful because. Like, when I talk about my mom, I don't say her name. I say my mom. Like, I talk about her in her relation to me. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about her as a person. 
I talk about her as my mother. And so I think it's awesome that in this book, it's a complete sort of dissertation in you guys and who you've been and, and what you are. How do you, which brings me to my question, and how do women who are parents like assert their personhood? How do you be something other than just somebody's mom? Which is the moment you have a kid, everybody goes, that's so-and-so's mom, that's so-and-so's mom. They want to judge you for everything that you do based upon the fact that you have kids. I see all kinds of fucking crazy shit. It's like, oh, she, she's skiing. How could she be skiing? <laughs> she's got kids. What happens if she falls down on the slopes? You know what I mean? So, like, how do you assert who you are when everyone expects you to be, like, a 1,000% caregiver and live for somebody else's life? You choose. You choose yourself despite what everybody else expects from you. And it's, it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a conscious choice because society is always going to tell you who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to show up. There's like this understanding, like you give birth and then you fucking morph into Betty Crocker or some shit. And it's just not realistic. And, you know, even with us, even this far into our journey, even with our platform, there's always there's still people who judge. There's people in our family who are judging, you know, you know, there's our moms mm. are talking shit. We're going out of town. We're running a business. There's even more, you know, levels to this at this point. But it's a choice. And, you know, you have to stand 10 toes down in the choice you've made. You know, I'm, I'm clear about who I am. And my daughter is clear that, you know, I'm a human and I'm your mother and I love being your mom. And that's a huge part of who I am and obviously a huge part of our brand. But, you know, outside of that, I'm a human being. And I think, you know, we have this idea that our mothers are somehow like superhuman, super women, and we are, but not all the time. You know, sometimes I got to lay down. <laughs> sometimes I have to rest and I have to work. And like our kids know that. There's a humanizing that that has that has to happen and you have to fight for it. It doesn't just show up because like Mila said, society will try its hardest to make you feel like this is the role that you've chosen and this is the role that you have to now step into and that those other parts of you have to have to die. And so you really have to fight against almost yourself. You have to fight against your programming. And that shit feels uncomfortable. Mm. And, you know, Van, I mean, do you know who your mom is outside of being your mom? Like, do you know who, what what her interests are? I know now. <laughs> I, I know mean, now. I so think look, there's, I so think there's also mom, a level so of like, mom, kids don't like, they're like, I don't want to know, you know? <laughs> well, no, I know now. I know. You know now. No, That's something well, interesting that you said. I, I knew, I knew. My mom is very, she shared, maybe older shit. <laughs> no, I love Miss Crystal. So, She's so great. I, I knew earlier, but I, I tell you what, you know what I really knew? It's walking down the street, having a conversation with my mother. And my mother said to me something so, a lot of people are going to judge my mom when they hear her, when they hear that she said this, but it's just real. She goes, you know, son, I have fantasies about what my life would have been if like you would have never been born. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that that's wild to and say. She, I mean, she says that, like, she, she told me, she said, you know, I think all the time. I love that she called it a fantasy. I'm 67 <laughs> years old. I think all the, yeah, she think, yeah I, she, I think all the time about what my life would have been, like, if you and your sister wouldn't have been born. And I don't think that's crazy. Whereas I think a lot of people, and people I've told that to have gotten mad. My question was, Tell me about that life. Yeah, what did it look like? Yeah. Who are you? Because she had some fly shit. You know what I mean? She had some fly shit that she wanted to I do. I love that she indulged and she went ahead and, 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 sure. and spoke to it. Something that 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 you both just said there 
Fan said, I know now. You asked, do you know who your, mo- your mom is as a, as a person outside of being a mom? And Vance said, I do now. And I think that's what's so freeing about what you do. Is it that you know now because like you're just older or is it because, and this is what I feel like is my case, as I've gotten to a certain age, my mom is more willing to share things that she didn't share when she was when we were younger, because that's just what you didn't do. You didn't talk about your business. You didn't put yourself out there. You tried to present that you were a good mom who always made good choices. And you guys are very open of like, we're imperfect people. So do you think that that's maybe some of the the disconnect as well is our parents weren't as open, at least my, mine wasn't. Now I know my mom in a completely different way. Absolutely. Especially in the black household. It's like our business is our business and you keep it in the household. Don't take our business outside of here. You know, like that's a big, that's a big saying. And you abide by that because you feel like there's some shame in being honest about who you are. And I think there's also this underlying thing like with moms is like, if I tell you my mistakes, then you're going to feel like it's okay to do the same shit I did. And it's, mm. you know, like if I tell you I did this and you're going to go out the, the deep end. Well, and, there's I, a, and there's a level of like, now you feel like you can disrespect me. Like, because now I've humanized myself or now we are, yeah. I'm not your equal because that's always what parents say. Like, I'm not your friend. Like, I'm not your little friend. Yeah. Right. That's like that's the that's the that's the narrative we hear a lot in our households. Right. But I think what Mila Mila really um, advocate for is being honest with our kids, because I think we do our kids such a disservice by by lying about who we are. And then they and then they grow up and then they see us as human and they're like, what the fuck? Like, what's going yeah. on? Yeah. Like, my Freaknik. <laughs> I I was at Freaknik as a baby. (laughs) My parents went to Tuskegee. But I I think that there's, there's, (laughs) that's why I am who I am. It's in my DNA. (laughs) Yeah, what was I going to say? I totally forgot. I totally forgot I was going to say my bad. I want to move on to something anyway. I want to talk about post-traumatic baby daddy disorder. You like that? You like that chapter title? (laughs) I do. AKA PTBDD. What is post-traumatic baby daddy disorder? That's chapter five in the book. What is that? Um, when you have a child with somebody, there's this like cord that you have. There's a forever, the forever connection. And um, especially for women, there's like this, this forever fight to like keep this relationship and or else you failed your family and you failed your child and you failed yourself and you're forever, you're happily ever after doesn't exist, you know? And um, there's trauma that comes with the aftermath. If I choose not to be with you, there's trauma about being a a black, you know, a single black woman. There's a single black mom. There's trauma, you know, depending on what you experience in that relationship. Like there is there's trauma that exists in your, like your spirit that you have to kind of work through to be like, this is okay. I can choose myself. I can move forward. I can have a happily ever after. However, this is not what it looks like for me right now and accepting it and moving on. And I think, um, in that chapter, we kind of really deep dive into how we've seen it affect our moms, how we've has how it's affected us, how it kind of, made us um, hold on to things that no longer served us for extended amount of, you know, amount of time. I personally experienced like a lot of verbal abuse and like even physical abuse from my past partner. And um, it lived in my DNA and I I didn't realize it. I didn't acknowledge it. I didn't give myself 
you know, uh, the space to grieve from it because I thought like, I'm supposed to move forward. I can't dwell in this. I have to move forward. And, you know, even to this day, there's things that I experience that are directly correlated with the trauma that I experienced in that relationship. And it's like, you have to acknowledge it to heal from it. And I'm only like, you know, the book was a part of that healing, releasing it, but it's just like letting women know that you're not alone. You're not crazy. And if you feel this, this cord that you can't cut, it's because it's real. And it, and it's, you know, society paints this picture is that once you have a child with somebody, you're supposed to be with them forever. And if you don't, you failed. And that's just not the truth. I, th- I think about, oh, what? sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, in relation to that, I talk about my mom's story and <clears throat> asking her specific questions around my, my childhood early on. And, and she literally said, I don't remember. Like there's certain parts of your childhood I don't remember because they were so traumatic in my experience with your father that I've compartmentalized them and put them away. And I think about, you know, even the relationship that I had with my child's father and certain parts of my relationship that I've compartmentalized and I put away. And I thought, wow, not only have I done this, but my mother has done this. And I've talked to my grandmother and she's done this. And it's just this this repetitive Mm -hmm. thing that we as women do. When we're when we are in survival, in survival mode, and in, and in, and and ashamed that our our perfect family dynamic didn't work out the way that we thought it would, so that's really what that chapter kind of digs into the daddy issues, all the things. Mm. I love the conversation we're having, and I love the conversations that you'll have on your podcast. And you guys have really created such a community. And when I was listening to your podcast, I thought. These, it's not just conversations about being a mom. It's about conversations about being a mom, but looking like us and what we experience as well. Why do you think there's so many mom groups out there that are all white, majority white? Why do you think that we don't have these circles and these communities um, in, in such a prevalent way like they do in white spaces? We don't trust each other. There's a deep distrust mm-hmm. amongst black women. And, you know, me and Mila, we always, we call ourselves platonic wives and, and that really like upsets men. (laughs) And, but, but in, in ways we, we are, we do a lot of the things that a married couple would do without the sex. You know, we share (laughs) bank accounts. We, um, our, our daughters travel together. They're in camp together. They're on soccer teams together. Like, you know, we make decisions for our kids together and, you know, our friendship has been such a catalyst to the community we've been able to build and, the how we sh- how we've been able to show up as mothers and i think a lot of women believe that they don't need other women and and they do and i think more than i think black women like i think we're we're starting to wake up to the fact that we need each other and that it's not we're not crabs mm. in a barrel and it's like fighting for our for mm-hmm. our men and fighting for our jobs and our position and you know i think that white people have had the privilege of being able to have these sister circles and these sisterhoods or from the beginning of time, whereas these kinds of things have been ripped from apart from, from, from our communities and from, from each other. And, um, you know, our community is, we've built such an amazing community of women and black, brown, white, all the things, because one thing that motherhood does is it connects the dots. It doesn't matter, you know, whether, what, what race you are, you know, however, you know, we speak from a very specific, you know, position. It's very specific, specific experience. Um, but I do think that, that a lot of it has to do with just the, the history of our people here in America. <laughs> it's 
to be honest, not to bring mm-hmm. everything back to, you know, slavery, but slavery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even, 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 for, <laughs> even for Erica and I, like, we met through a mutual friend, but mostly on Instagram, you know, and when I saw her on Instagram and she saw me, I made judgments about her. You know, I was like, she's getting, she's like, when I saw her on Instagram, she was pregnant. Her baby daddy was proposing to her at her baby shower. I wasn't engaged or married, although I was like having a baby with my high school sweetheart that I'd known for like 15 years. I was like, she's lucky. She's doing it right. They're rich. He's an African prince. <laughs> he is not, you know, <laughs> and like, and she made judgments about me. This, these were the things that, but you know, initially went through our minds. Like this, like, I'm going to separate myself from you before I befriend you. And, you know, granted, mm-hmm. thank God we were desperate for like a mom friend. And we're like, we got to connect either way. We, we pushed past those things and kind of like a lot of those judgments were projections. That's what I wanted. So that's what I assumed she was, she mm-hmm. was experiencing and same. She saw me, I was at the mm-hmm. Roosevelt. I had a champagne and a, my baby on my hip, my newborn. I, I was in a bikini and she was like, who this bitch thinks she is like, why is she at the pool mm. three months after giving birth, you know? And like, but still she made, she, you know, made it a point to come and befriend me. And I think um, the beautiful thing about our podcast is that we've a built our friendship over the years on the podcast, but we've healed tremendously from the women we were five years ago, just by speaking about this shit out loud. Like, Hey, this is how I was feeling. This is what, mm-hmm. this is what I projected on you, even though that's obviously not the case. And unfortunately it took us for us both leaving those relationships and finding like, you know, solace and, you know, both being single moms. But I think that one of the beautiful things about the podcast is that because we've healed publicly, it gives other black women you know, the permission and women period permission to be like, huh, maybe I'm being a, like, maybe I'm being presumptuous. Maybe I'm judging. Maybe I need to take that judgment and and reflect. And we really like, we really push the narrative of like healing so that you can be a better mom. And then you can like have friends. So you're not thinking things that are completely untrue. And that's separating you from, you know, your potential best friend. Hmm. What is the perfect baby daddy? <laughs> I want you. I want you guys to build. I want you guys to build the perfect baby daddy. Give me all the attributes and put them together that builds the perfect baby's father. Erica, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, the perfect child's father, baby daddy. Um, I would say obviously someone supportive, someone caring, someone. Mm-hmm humble, someone, you know, who takes initiative, who wants to help, wants to support, who um, cares about family, cares about loyalty, cares about, um, I don't know, is respectful and understands his responsibility to take care of his family. I subscribe. There's certain parts of the patriarchy Mm. I subscribe to, okay? And what parts of the patriarchy did you subscribe that to? That a man should take care of his household. And that doesn't mean that a woman mm. shouldn't take care of her household. But I think there's a level of like expectation for women, especially now with women in, in the workforce being able, you know, t- wanting to work, taking care of taking care of home. That doesn't allow us to really step into our softness, doesn't really allow us to um, show up as our most beautiful, divine, nurturing self. And let me be clear, I'm an entrepreneuring ass bitch. I love to work. I love to create 
beauty <laughs> but there is a level of expectation I have for my man to do the same to rise up to the occasion and support his family whether that is fine it, it doesn't always have to show up financially but there is a level of support right. that I expect if you're not going to show up financially then you better be picking up these damn kids from school making sure they're fed so that mom can make sure that everything else is going smoothly um there's a respect that has to happen um privately and publicly um, you know, if we're talking about physically, um, over six feet tall, <laughs> I think, I, I think, I think the perfect baby daddy, tall, dark, and handsome, you know, black, <laughs> perfect. Um, I think dreads, freckles, sorry. I, I think the perfect baby daddy doesn't subscribe to the toxic, like this toxic, um, perfect mother idea. You know, like I think the perfect baby daddy is a, a human who understands that I am also human and that is fully aware that I'm going to give birth and I might nurse and I might carry, but we have equal roles. And just because I'm the mother does not mean that I somehow have more of a role than you. We are both primary parents. And I think um, society has kind of like given men a lot of baby daddies permission to give a half-assed performance because they're not the moms. And so everything's like, well, you're the mom. Well, you're the mom. Well, you're supposed to sit down. I got to go out. I got to run. I got to make a run. Like, nigga, where are you going? <laughs> you don't got no runs to make. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, men always want to make a run. I don't know where you're going. Yeah, but I'll be right back. Like, I got to go, 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 go pick up something. I got to take care of something. <laughs> you got to take care of this baby. <laughs> you know, and I think men, it's... But you got, but he's got to make the money. So maybe he has a run. Maybe he has to run, make a run to go get, to, to, to go make money, right? Well, he needs to explain Yeah, that. like... I, like say where I you're said, going. he doesn't always have to make money. I'm just saying that there is a level of responsibility that I expect my partner to take on. And it is the 50-50 role. You know, we did an episode with a fellow podcaster that was very adamant about moms are the primary parent. That is the role that you chose when you laid down and had a baby. Are you being inconspicuous about who it is? It was Joe Budden. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, you know, and a lot of obviously our community was not fucking with that idea, but there was a lot of men that that do subscribe to that idea. And that I don't know how or why a man would be proud of that. There's no glory in that because society has okayed it and supported it. And so they've run with it and it's it's just whack. And it, and it, it, it really like honestly, like 51 percent of mothers are either depressed or suffering from anxiety. And it's because once you have a baby, mm -hmm. a lot of that, uh, a lot of that responsibility falls on you. And in fact, like after I carry, after my birth, my body does this crazy thing of birthing a child. Like I really need a minute to go like figure my shit out. Like take this baby. Let me go figure out who the fuck I am in this new space. Like I've gone through this traumatic experience. And sometimes it's extremely like, I always call birth like a rite of passage and it's a beautiful and it's empowering, but it's a huge shift. And, you know, we need more men to understand like our bodies go through something, our personalities, our, our spirits, like, and it takes time to kind of um, integrate that experience. And men don't really acknowledge the grace, you know, give us grace and acknowledge that like the the transition into motherhood. And sometimes it's, you know, we never get back on our feet from there. And we always are going, 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 taking care of this child. And you just need a minute sometimes to be like, okay, let me figure out who I am as this person. So I don't just follow society standards and deep dive off the end. That's totally not me until like five years later, I look up and I'm resenting my child, you, everyone, because I haven't really been true to myself because I felt like I had to put on this mask and be this perfect mother. 
Mm. And that's really what this book is about, Um, because the book, you know, I think as moms and, you know, Rachel, one day, if, if and when you choose to have a child, you know, people will feed you tons of books, tons of apps to read about and learn about how to take care of your child. They never teach you how to take care of yourself. There's no books around mm. how do you mother yourself after becoming a mother. And that really is what our book is about because I read all the books and I thought I was prepared. I was, I was overly prepared to be a mother, but I had no, I had no guidance about how to care for this new person that I was, how to remember who I was and be okay with that and not feel ashamed about the choices that I've made before childhood and that, okay, yeah, I smoked a lot of weed before I had my daughter and I still want to smoke some weed now, you know, and whether, Mm. and, and, and and to some people that's a bad choice. Right. And that's really kind of the play on, on, on our podcast and the, and the book is like these bad choices that, you know, moms make and that the book really highlights that you make the rules. You really make the rules for what motherhood looks like for you and also encouraging women to really take time to figure out who are you now? Do you know who you are? And and the book is not just for moms too. I want to be clear. Like this book is for women in general. Um, mm. women, and men too, if you, if you care to know our perspective. Women who are, who maybe are on the fence about having kids, um, <laughs> women who maybe don't want to have kids, whatever it may be. It really is a testimony to really dissecting and diving into who you are before you make these choices that we did. It's the book I wish I had before, before having, deciding to have a child. That's, I love that. That's beautiful. Last thing I'll say, then I want to give you an opportunity to promote your retreat. Since you're talking about self-care and loving yourselves, you've got a retreat coming up this summer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Our, can you promote that? Yes, of course. Our retreat is called the Good Vibe Retreat. Um, we have taken over, I think at this point, 120, 130 women out of the country. Um, our retreat is really, it's not just for moms, it's for women in general. Um, we create a space for people to, for women to show up as themselves. A lot of the women come by themselves and it's almost like a rebranding. It allows women to show up as whoever the fuck they feel like it. If they're if they're that if they're kind of that judgmental, closed off woman at home, when you come here, you can be whoever you want. And we really take care of every detail from start to finish because as women, as mothers, we're always planning, we're always trying to figure things out. And so yes. we wanted to create a space where you just show up and that's it. You don't really have to think about anything. You can do everything on the itinerary or you can do nothing on the itinerary. And, you know, me and Mila really pride ourselves on curating really luxury experiences because we're luxury ass fishes. Um, and we don't want to bring anybody <laughs> out of the country for no ghetto ass shit. So this retreat um, is actually in Mexico this year um, in July, July 5th and July 12th. And we're taking over. We always take over an entire property. So it's just us on property. And that really creates this kind of beautiful hub safe space yeah to do whatever you want 
You know, it's like, you want to frolic? You want to be topless? You want a skinny dip? You want to howl at the moon? This is your place. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> helping women get like back to this childlike space that I think sometimes when you're caring for other people or you're doing a job, you're a wife or you're a mom, you're constantly pouring out, you're giving, you're giving. And it's like, you know, it's sometimes difficult to listen to your own voice when you're caring for other people. And this is that, you know, like, hey, maybe you want to be a different person than you were last year. Hey, come by yourself. None of these bitches know you anyway. And you can be that person. Let us <laughs> let us nurture you. And so you don't have to think about all those things and give yourself the opportunity to sit with yourself and think, hey, does this serve me? Is this who I want to be? Am I am I feeling joy? Like, have I done some shit that makes me happy lately? When's the last time I frolicked and did a cartwheel in the grass? You know, <laughs> so it's just like the little things that you think wouldn't really you know, matter. But, you know, it's not just for black women, but especially for black women. We haven't often been given a lot of space to explore our pleasure. And so we really pride ourselves in providing a place where women can tap into their pleasure and their needs and they can go home refreshed and, you know, advocating for themselves and for their their peace, really. Last question for me. Is there anything that you can't do after you've had a kid? No. Is there any behavior? <laughs> is there any is there anything that you should stop doing after you've had a kid? Anything at all? Hey, listen, I'm I'm no I'm no one's judge, you know, and I, I'm sure there's things I can say that would probably qualify as like bad things, in my opinion. But like again, that's that's my opinion, <laughs> and I'll, I'm I'm I'll, I'm four hundred percent sure that people have dissected our show and been like, there's a lot of shit you've done that you shouldn't have done, you know, like go to Coachella and then hit the birthday party, you know, like mushrooms. LSD. I don't know. There's things threesomes. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that people would deem you know, not motherly behavior, but who the fuck am I to tell you what you're supposed to do and what makes you happy? I think as long as you're caring for your kid and your kid is happy and taken care of, then you're doing a good job. And unfortunately, moms don't hear that enough. Like you can live your life and still be a good mom. And, you know, there's balance to everything. And so whatever the fuck makes you happy, keep doing that. And like, this is also like, don't go leave your drop your kid off at a stranger's house for 12 days and then say, good mom's bad choices told me to do it. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there, there are obviously there are obviously responsibilities that we have as mothers, you know, and mostly we, we, we tend to be the prime, the primary caregivers. And I think the fucked up part is, is that like innately when you give birth to something, you're not going to neglect it. You know, like there's nothing I, I could go to 400 mm -hmm. music festivals and I'm not and I'm going to remember to be like, hey, did did Luna go? Did Luna get tutoring today? Hey, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to make sure my kids shit is locked and locked down because that's kind of like that's a part of, you know, the hum like the mother experience is that we nurture that comes innately. But, you know, do do what makes you happy, girl. Do what makes you happy. You <laughs> All right, you guys, Jamila Mapp. Erica Dickerson. The book is A Good Mom's Guide to Making Bad Choices. It's got to go on the New York Times bestsellers. It's got to get there. You have to buy the book and then you have to listen to, uh, uh, to Good Mom's Bad Choices. You have to do both of these things right now. I didn't even get a chance to fan out over Erica's dad. She doesn't like it when I do it. That's fine. Okay. I didn't get it. I, I, I left it out of the whole thing. All I'm going to say is that nigga was a dog. 
I just I still can't believe this nigga was a dog. What is that the fuck? What like, does that mean? The doggest of a all. A dog in dog. what way? What are we talking a, about, man? That nigga was a dog. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about like you get that nigga that ball, boom, he gone. <laughs> I used to watch him with my deck. Ooh, ooh, ah. You know what I'm saying? 2105. That's all I'm gonna say. Wait, all I right. want to say freaked I out on an I episode because I was. Crying. I want to say something. If you're in New York City, if you're in New York City, we're having a live show at City Winery, so make sure you come through. I don't know when this episode comes oh, out, nice. but it's on May 5th, which is this Friday. So if you're in the New York City mm-hmm. area, come to our tour. It's a Confessions of a Good Mom tour. Um, if you've been to our shows before, then you know they're the ultimate girls' night. They are a little bit naughty, a lot of it fun. And um, there's elements of the retreat because, you know, we can't help but just bring the good vibes. So I definitely want to encourage mm-hmm. anyone that's in New York City to come through, come alone. If you need to find your tribe, if you're trying to find your homegirl, you'll find her here. We make sure of it. But if you want to bring your homegirl, your friend, your man, he'll have fun too. And what did you want to say, my love? Uh, all I wanted to say was, Rachel, you're the only season of The Bachelorette or Bachelor I've ever watched. And I was really excited Thank for this because <laughs> I was like, I was rooting for you, girl. <laughs> I told, I told you. Erica, I, I, like, I never watched that. it. I watched her season, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I'm glad you stopped. <laughs> yeah. I stopped oh, too. Oh, I stopped shots. too. <laughs> Everybody I take the shots. <laughs> all right, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us today on Highland. Bye. 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 Wait, wait, wait. Oh, she got the beauty blender out. I pulled this out. <laughs> oh, thank- this is what I do. Usually when I'm drunk or on something else, I do Perfect. this. Yes, yes. <laughs> Lots of skin. And man goes, oh my God, that's a beauty blender. I said, why do you know the name of that? <laughs> like, that's my home. It's girl. all so about she- the bounce, baby. <laughs> bounce that blender, honey. They were fantastic. I loved it. If y'all aren't on, on their podcast, that, that, that interview alone should want to make you pick up the book and listen to their podcast. I love I love the answer they had about just black women needing to support black women and how historically we haven't really done that. You know what I should have asked publicly. Them? You know what I should have asked them when they were talking about the patriarchy and men having to make money. I want to ask you this question. Okay, I'm sorry. I was, I'm sorry. I keep moving. The I was going down. to ask them this question. I know what you're going to ask me, and I was going to ask them this question. What? What's Yama. the question? Huh? You asked me about Yama? No, no, no. Oh. We'll talk about it long, long As a matter of okay. fact, let's talk about that now. Because I was going to ask them this question. Let's talk about that now. Okay. It, it, Rachel, that's perfect. That's a, give it to us. Tell us what's going on. Okay. So this clip has gone viral. Ebony K. Williams, friend of the podcast, was, of the podcast. was interviewing Ianla Van Zant, And she was just talking to her about, I didn't see the full interview. I just saw some of the clip. And she was talking to her about you know, black women and and I think just like our our femininity and, and you know, not settling for certain things and, ex, you know, standing in our power. And I'm paraphrasing here. So, right. So she's she's praising all this and she lays it out beautifully. Ebony does as she's pr- proposing this question to Ianla and she cuts, cuts her off kind of and says, Ebony, would you marry or date? Let's go to the audio. Let's go to the audio. Thank you. I know that you've said that you cannot teach a man or tell a man how to be a man. So I will not ask you to indict men in this question. But I do want you to speak, Ayanla, to how women need to, uh, I don't know, position ourselves so that we can be in our divinity, so we can have our crowns right, how we can create and not build 
when some of us, quite frankly, feel that the men that are available to us, and I'm talking about across the color spectrum, across the age spectrum, trust me, I've done them all, um, they are not positioned to protect nor provide because of some of the statistics we just talked about. They're not earning the incomes. They're not having the resources. And some of them are not even showing up in the leadership. Would you date a bus driver? You. Would you date if a bus If he owns driver? the bus. If he owns no. it. If he owns the bus. See, that's, a that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. Because the standards and requisites, and I'm not talking about him laying on his sofa playing video games all day. <laughs> I'm not talking about mm -hmm. that. But the standards and the criteria that we use to measure men is off for who mm. we are as women and who they are in this society. I would date a bus driver mm. if he was, if he loved driving the bus, if he was a man of integrity, if he was good to his mama, if he treated me well. Rachel? I agree with, with uh, Iyama. You agree with Iyama? I, I have said this before. I, I, in, all my relationships, I've been the breadwinner in all my past relationships. So for me, I've never gone into it. Would it be nice, Van? What? Yeah. Uh, what? Hey, would it would it be Continue nice? Kick this niggas back in. No, no I don't think that that's. <laughs> So you think I'm keep, I'm kicking Brian's back in by saying that? I don't think no. that that's big that big of a secret. When Brian moved here, he's starting his business and starting like I'm not saying that he's doing bad. I'm just saying that in the position that we're in right now, right. I'm the one making more money. Okay. I don't think that's that big of a secret. Anyways, I'm open. Whatever. Talk about me if you want. Guess there'll be a new Reddit post. <laughs> Rachel, continuing to emasculate Brian. <laughs> it's what I do best, apparently. <laughs> Anyways, my point being is the way that I've dated or the people that I've dated, that has never been a deal breaker for me. I'm with Ianla in the in the sense that I'm looking past just that. Now, mm -hmm. I want you to work, mm -hmm. but I also want you to love what you do. So if this bus driver has always wanted to be a bus driver, uh, or even if that's he's just very happy in the space that he's in, and maybe he's saving money to do something else, or maybe this is all he wants to do. Maybe he's saving up to buy the bus. I don't know. I'm okay with that if you're doing what you love, if it's coupled with so many other things that I look for in a significant other. So I would but I'd have follow-up questions if you if I'm like, oh, what do you do? I drive a bus. Okay, well, I got more questions after that. I'm not saying I'm like clicking my heels and jumping for joy just at that, but I got more questions. I wouldn't totally cross somebody off the list just because of the t the job that they did. Hmm. I have follow-up, and I think and I actually think that that's really wrong for people to do. You think that it's really wrong for people I think, to do? I think listen, everybody has their preferences, but I think that you might be cutting yourself off to somebody who's great because you have a, a number in your head that somebody needs to be making making so you can be financially taken care of. So why do you think that women feel this way? Well, I think it is within women and I would, and I would say this about myself. There's a desire to want to be taken care of. I, I want to be taken care of. And sometimes that means financially. Sometimes that means in an intimate way, it, it can be various things. Mm -hmm. 
So I think I can understand how, and, and also just like the gender roles that, that are in society, whether you, you can be a feminist, you could be the most liberal person, but there's certain, you know, stigmas that are placed on us in society or certain stereotypes that are assigned to each gender that are still ingrained within you. So I think that I'd be lying if there aren't certain, you're like, oh, well, a man is supposed to do this. I think sometimes we think that. Or a woman is supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you should stay married to that idea, but I think that that is in us at times. And so I think that society has told us that as women, we are supposed to be taken care of by our men and our men are supposed to provide for us and to make more for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's still in some women. So what I would ask those women, because, you know, we had Erica and Mila on, they talked about the patriarchy and sometimes women want the part of the patriarchy. And to be honest with you, it's not sometimes. It, the majority of the women that I know are not going to date any man that is not financially secure. And when I say not financially secure... Yeah, explain that. Most women don't want a man that's financially secure. The, the women that I know, I'm not going to say most women, I'm not going to generalize that degree, but the women that I know and have known, they don't necessarily want a man that's financially secure. They want a man that's doing better than they are. Yeah. So they don't want to date a man that is not doing as well as they are doing. Yeah. It makes that guy weak, impotent to them. It's always an issue. women. Okay, a lot of times. My question is this. And I've asked this question before, and it's a simple question. Everybody's entitled to date whomever they want for whatever reason. Ebony doesn't want to date a bus driver. I'm sure people are upset about it. I'm sure people are mad about it. That's on That's her. That's her preference. To, to me, the way I look at it is, hey, whatever you want, I hope it comes to you. But I'm letting you know, the smaller the, 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 the needle has to go through, okay? The smaller the hole that the needle goes through, the less needles that are out there, all right? So you're trying to thread something through the hole of the needle. The smaller it is, the less things can go in there, Yeah. right? So a lot of, a lot of ladies that are here talking about, you know, how much love they want and how much uh, companionship that they want. I sometimes wonder how much they really want it because it seems like you only want it from Odell Beckham Jr. and, yeah. and, and Damson Idris and, and, like, and like three or five, three or four other guys. But this is what I'll say. This is what my question to, to people. What do women have to do? For, for the women that, that look at the, the, the patriarchy or the traditional gender roles, and this is a disgustingly heteronormative conversation that we're having, but we're having it because it's a topic that we're talking about. If, Men have to provide and provide at this level. And I can provide just fine. I'm doing great. I don't have any complaints. It's all fine. Well, then what do women have to do? I think those women who expect that to provide at that level would also accept the gender role that's placed on them. I don't think that anybody is going to tell Ebony K. Williams to come home and make their food. I just don't think... I, I think I you'd think, be I, shocked at how secretly submissive, a, like, I, I, I actually... This is the problem. I think that this stuff is, is easy if everybody adheres 
to the predetermined role that our parents have. So if, if a lot of people would be like, you know what? That's cool. I got to be rich to fuck with you. I got to be rich. I got to have all this money. I have to be able to do this so you can live a soft life. Do you know what the other side of that used to be? You know what you have to do? Yeah. Whatever I say. Yeah. Like I you know. have to do what I say. And I actually know people in those relationships And so too. what I'm saying is, is like, there can't be a situation to where this dynamic has changed for men and then it hasn't changed for women or excuse me, has changed for women and hasn't changed for men because then you're going to have people talking past each other. Well, let me ask you this. We'll use Ebony because that's the topic of conversation. If Ebony wants a man to have you know, to provide in a certain way. Let's say make more money than her, right? She wants the owner, right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't want the player. She wants the person who owns the team. Is it fair to expect her? I think what she would say, because you said she wouldn't be accept being told what to do, is that, but I'm providing as well. Okay. So I'm, I'm bringing stuff to the table because I have my own and I'm doing this. If you have your own, then, what, then, then I would ask, if you have your own and you're providing as well, then to me, that should be liberating that you should be able to get any man that you want. You should be able to go Well, into, you can, but what type? Well, I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, get any man what you want. I mean, like, you should be able to go to McDonald's, think that the dude behind the thing is fucking uh, good looking, and then make him. Because nobody can, <laughs> I'm serious, because listen, w- there are huge Hollywood stars, mm-hmm. gigantic, really super successful men, that when they meet women, these women aren't of any of what people would call account. I'm sure they're great people, but hey, I met a waitress at this particular club. I met a barista here. I met this person here. And, and because of what's expected, a lot of times these people make completely like fine mates for those people. Yeah. And women, I understand, can't do that. Like they, they, there's a wealth gap uh, to where they feel like they need security. Sure. And what people don't really don't want to talk about is some of this stuff are just pro-evolutionary traits that have been reinforced Absolutely. over years and years and years of socialization, right? It's, it's fine for me either way. I can't tell nobody to cook. I can't tell nobody to clean. I don't even want that. Like it, it, that's not a thing for me. Mm-hmm. That's it. I kind of saw how that burned my mom out and that's like not a thing for me. I'm, I'm going to look at my shit and go, hey, this, these are dirty. I'm going to clean them. I'm going to look at my, I'm going I'm to cook my food. It's fine. Yeah. Hey, it's gravy. But I do wonder sometimes, you, if we're talking about patriarchy and destroying it, it seems like sometimes we're picking, cho- picking and choosing well, we are. which types of pa- patriarchy works for women and which parts they don't like. Well, we are. And it's something that, I can't remember if it was Erica or Jamila that said this, but Jamila or Erica said this about women feeling, tapping into there's like being soft. The soft life. We want yeah. the soft life. And, and sometimes when the quote unquote gender roles are switched or, you know, like there's a, yeah, I'll just say it that way. When, when, when they're switched, these stereotypical roles, a lot of times women don't feel like they can tap into their femininity because they're, they're having to be something else. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that it is innately within women that they do want to be able to tap into that. And so that means that they need, you know, a weight off their shoulders or they need help in some areas. But I don't think that that always means in a financial way. And, 
And they t- and Jamila or Erica said this when they were like, you got to pick up the kids from the school. You got to do something else around the house. There are other ways that you can help out that just don't have to be financial, which is why I have an issue with um, Ebony's point of view and not Ianla's because I think that men can step up in other ways and it doesn't just have to be financial. And I think, and I haven't always had this point of view. It took time for even me to get there. Even when I was dating someone before that didn't make as much money than me. Last thing I'll say. Love Mila, love Erica, love you, love all of my uh, unbelievably talented independent, self-sufficient women. I have to be honest about something. When women say that a man doesn't have to make a certain amount of money, he can sort of uh, step up in other ways. I don't believe you. I mean, I need you to work. You, can, I'm just going to be honest with you. In my experience... And when I say my experience, I don't mean that mean necessarily with me. I'm talking about in life. If your woman is making more money than you, she's going to let you know at some point. Like if your woman, if if your woman is making more money than you, I, I, I'm sorry. And there might be other situations out there that where this is completely a different thing. Man, I saw something on TV where this lady was a doctor and it was about like women that are primary breadwinners when this lady was a doctor and she was, she was discussing how difficult it is to, she was a doctor. Her husband is a nurse. She makes more money than him. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about like how much of her life she feels like she doesn't get to live because she feels the burden of providing for her family. And Mm. um, there was a whole thing. Look at some, if you're a man, you don't get to complain about that. Yeah. You don't get I to mean, say that like my like my father worked his motherfucking ass off, right? Worked his ass off. And he just wasn't able to come in. Now he was able to do a bunch of other shit, <laughs> but he wasn't able to complain about having to take care of his family because there's an understanding, even if we don't want to confront it, that that should be the other way around. And there's a bunch of dudes sitting down with their with they wives or girlfriends right now and they're talking to them and they're saying, hey, look, don't worry about it. Just make sure that you pick up the kids and make sure you do all of this. I can make the money and it's cool. That's- I'm telling them right now, my nigga, be careful. No, because when Mad Day comes, you gotta work. Like, like you gotta like, make money. No, you gotta if you work. Make money. If you she, gotta work. Even you gotta you, be able to cover some bills. It, you gotta do something. Even if you make, but hold on. But in in a situation, but why would in that situation, why would a man have to be able to cover bills? You gotta work? be able to contribute financially. But I'm not saying you have to make more than me. You but why would me. why would a man have to contribute financially? Why couldn't he just contribute to the family? Like. I don't want to. I don't want a house husband. Sorry, I don't. Right? Would you? Okay. That's why I said I don't have a problem with a bus driver. Right. But do you think that men feel the same way in terms of housewives? Like, is there no? A lot of times. So why is it wrong to be a house husband? It's not wrong, but this is what I mean about you can be uh, women. This women. This. Let's you know 
take down the patriarchy, all that. There is something within women that they still want to be taken care of. And it is not attractive to me if you're not working at all. But what and if I you, come but, home but what if you, and but what, but, you are not working. Okay. I'm sorry. But what if, what if the guy is taking care of the house? He's cleaning up the house. He's paying all the bills. There's something within us that he's, still he's, wants he's, you to be able to do something for us. Like, if, if you're not so working... Not doing, well, no, because if you're not working at all financially, so like, if you're not working at all, that means I'm giving you an allowance. I'm, I'm a mother now. Wait! I'm mothering wait, wait you. Wait a second, though. Why doesn't that same dynamic work on the other this side? This is what I mean. That how It doesn't matter how you try to slice it. These gender roles are still there. They're present. It's so ingrained in us. Like there, I will always want to be taken care of to some level. I'm not saying you got to make more than me, but if you can't afford to take me on a date, I got to give you a monthly allowance. Mm-hmm. I'm not okay with that. Right. Okay. Okay. That's where I'll draw the line. Well, I, no, I get it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I'm, I'm just saying it's always an interesting conversation talking about what people have to do. Because people need to admit that there are roles that they still adhere to in this society. If, Sorry, if, you have if, to, people need to admit that. If I jumped on this podcast right now and was like, look, when I come home, I expect, and this thing, these things aren't even a big deal to me. Like, I really don't care. Yeah. Like, but if, if I was like, I, I expect this to be done, I expect that to be done, I expect this to be done, I expect that to be done. People will look at me in a certain way. Acceptable double standard. Double standard, but acceptable double standard. Um, Donnie, can I have some sound? No, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> We're back. It's spring, which means the Cougars are on the prowl again. A 70-year-old man survived a Cougar attack in Utah without serious injuries. He suffered only lacerations to his head and arms when he was confronted by the animal at Spanish Fork Canyon around 1 p.m. In the day? Oof. In the day. In the day. Uh, Authorities said officials with the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources will search for the cougar on Friday. Be careful. This cougar's on the loose. Okay? These cougars are out here. You guys think that we forgot about them, but we did. Mountain Lion is, is, is out here on the prowl. And this is the thing. That's Mountain Lion's neighborhood. You don't need to have... You don't need to, here's, if you come into my house, of course you need to be cautious because it's my house. And so if I come in my, if I walk in my kitchen and I turn around and I see somebody in my kitchen, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to lacerate their head. You're in Mount Lyons turf. That's Mount Lyons turf. The whole home. outside is Mount Lyons turf. Stone Fork Canyon, Mount Lyons turf. <laughs> so if you go up there, if you catch Mount Lyons off guard, you're going to get some lacerations. Okay. So you well, guys, thank goodness the man's okay. You, I'm just, I'm just saying, he's okay, and that's great. My question is, how's my line? <laughs> I'm sure he's. Is fine. there emotional damage? I'm sure he's fine. Because my line was probably scared. You know, y'all thought that after P22 went to the upper room and transitioned to be one of the ancestors, that we would stop talking about my line on this podcast. Nah, we gave it a little rest. Because P22 was tough. My my Twitter avatar is still P22. Rest in peace to my guy. Did you find this story or did somebody send it to you? What you think? You know, y'all need to stop. Guys, keep coming with the Mount Lion <laughs> y'all content. Y'all need to stop. Y'all need to stop. 
Donnie, before we go, I want to get Donnie's take on the whole uh, disgustingly heteronormative conversation about um, who makes the money and stuff. What's your thoughts? Yeah, sorry, guys. We keep saying gender roles and all that. No, um, actually, my wife just got um, a new job and we are currently in this situation where she makes more than I do. And... Um, you okay, Donnie? I am. Like, I am super uh, comfortable in our role, in our roles. Um, I've made the most in the entire uh, span of our relationship. And um, this, her getting this new job came at like the perfect time. And us making this extra money is like exactly what we needed. Um, so, I mean, I it like came at the perfect time. And I'm, and- we're, we're, we're comfortable about that I'm comfortable about it. And that's the way to look at it as a blessing. Donnie, give me the sound from Waiting to Exhale. He's a good man, Savannah. Good man, Savannah. Good man. That's a good man. Look, y'all, y'all, I am happy for Donnie and his family. And it's good. He looked at it as a blessing. He looked at it as a blessing. Because it's about a family unit. It's about a unit. It's about you guys together it's about and a what unit. you bring to the table. It's about a unit as long as she doesn't throw it in his face, which she's not. Okay. Donnie, I don't think she will. She's a... She is actually like, like spoiling me in a way that like that it kind of makes me uncomfortable. That's what I'm talking about. Like she's planning on See, taking me out on Wednesday out. and she like literally just bought me the new Star Wars game as we are recording. Like I'm like, she needs to... <laughs> not let me tell you something let me tell you what's gonna happen to you Donnie Donnie let me tell you what's gonna happen it's going good right now but it's gonna change bro and let me tell you what's gonna happen it's gonna change in a couple ways one day you're gonna be up late on the edit right you're gonna be in there up late and you know she's gonna come in there and you're gonna be going to sleep and she's gonna be like uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> Ain't no time to sleep. <laughs> and you're gonna be wow, like, what? You see how Van thinks. You're gonna be like, us? what? No, mama got me. <laughs> Ain't no time to sleep. Hey, and what you I, think you about to go to sleep? I have a job like, to look, do. I got a lot. I stopped by the she's gonna be like, I stopped by the gas station and I got these for you. <laughs> Donnie's gonna be calling me like, hey Van, hit me right now. <laughs> call me. Call me and say we gotta go do a record. <laughs> like, come back here and go to sleep, Donnie. <laughs> Donnie, it's, it's, I'm telling you, it's gonna happen, bro. Donnie don't know. Van, come on, she bought you the new Star Wars game. That's how you know. I she just buttering you up. Can you not handle your woman making more than you? <laughs> of course. Can you? Yeah, it's happened. Can you? It happened before, and guess what? It happened before. The but... shit was brought up. Straight like that. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not just being for real. It happened before. And guess what? The shit was brought up. Could I handle it? Cool. I was playing basketball. But it's like, it happened. What? We just got some really good news. What happened? I just got a DM from Wingstop. Oh, what happened? (laughs) We'd love to send you something. Do you understand my love for Wingstop? What are they going to send you? Well, I only do one thing. What? The wings? Lemon pepper. So, wait, they just going to send you wings for free? Yeah. Very similar to the triple treat box. Triple treat box. <laughs> Remember that? That's a throwback yeah. for all you old school, old school thought warriors. Was Pizza Hut, come through with the triple treat. Well, no, never mind. I, don't, I, can't, <laughs> I can't focus on uh, triple treat Donnie, box. I loved your input. Donnie's great. Don, I knew that Donnie would have the right input. But yeah, like, yeah. I've, the I've, voice of reason. I've been in, I've been in both situations. And do you, do you throw it? You do! 
wait, 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 no, no, okay, so, no, but not in a real way, but let me tell you, let me tell you really, let me tell you really, let me tell you really, seriously, this, this, and this is a real thing, so, when it was thrown, not, not thrown in my face, when it was brought up, the money that I didn't make, or like how I, like what I wasn't doing or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. And so there was a time of me, let me break it down to you. So what happened was, you know, I'm not the easiest person to live with. You know, like I had to learn how to clean up and to do all that kind of stuff. And like, you know, it's like my man. So my filth is the, the, the filthiest well, of two filth. people coming together. It's two different. Right. It's a struggle. So, you know, it's frustrating. Have to learn how to do stuff like that or whatever. And it was a situation to where like, you know, if it was basically like, if you're not going to be cleaning up or if you're not going, if you're not going to be making any money around here. You need to step up in other ways. You need to step up in other ways. That's like, the this fair is what thing you, to say. Did you, did you need to, you need to, you need to do this. So I, I took that to heart. And it started to be a situation to where the house was spotless. I was cleaning up That's all the amazing. time. That's amazing. Okay, right. So, after this, what ends up happening is it changes to a large degree. It, it changes to, like, it flips totally, right? Mm-hmm. And after it flips totally, it's not like I was like, you have to do this because I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. But it was a situation to where when I was asked to do something, I would go, well, shouldn't that be something that you do now that things are the other way? And you know what I was told? Nigga, get the fuck up and go and do the fucking shit. And don't you ever ever try to hold shit over my head like that. You fucking crazy. No, it just didn't work. And I think I thought that my expectation would be that it would be the same way, but it wasn't. And it won't be. And it's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not, that's just not going to happen. There's a lot of other things and there's huge, it's a completely collaborative relationship. It's, it really is a completely collaborative relationship. I don't know so much stuff about like what goes on. I just don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's taking care of it, right? Mm-hmm. But there was a point to where I thought, okay, I'm taking care of everything. Mm-hmm. So I expected there to be some type of... Um, For there to be step up, to step up. No, in other I, ways. Th- I expected there to be some sort of... Um, Thank you? <gasps> not... If not a thank you, an understanding of kind of the dynamic of that, and it just wasn't. And when, even when I intimated that that should be a thing, I got the boot in my face so hard. <laughs> I'm like, nah, fuck it, you know. And so, nah, for real, there was a there was a toxic point to where I was kind of like, you know, I remember how things were, and before when it was me, and now I'm wondering like how things are supposed to be. Now that I am like really taking care of things like in a real serious, like total way, and I have to learn that, you know, people are different and 
one person rules the fucking house. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the way that it goes. And that's the way that it should go, right? Do you have a preference of which way you'd rather it be? It doesn't matter. Okay. Just because, just because, because me, now what I will tell you is, like during that time, I the company I was working with had folded and I was uh, on unemployment and I was just like playing basketball all the time and all of that stuff. And so there was a still, there was a boyishness about me still, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a reality. There, there's nothing like, I don't lord over people. And that's kind of the anti, that's my response to my father. Mm-hmm. Like my dad would come home and he would, uh, and if the house wasn't set to the right temperature, he's a great guy, but, you know, he wanted things to be a certain way. And he was, he worked, his job was hard, you know, it's out there on the job site, running the job site and it's, it's hot. And yeah. he'd come home and he'd be glistening and sweaty. He was the boss, so he didn't really have to uh, grab a trial and, or a trial machine and do all of that stuff. But he just was out. It was very stressful. So when he came home, she'd have to be correct. It had to be right. You yeah. know what I mean? So if it wasn't, he was on your ass. And I just never want to lord over anyone like mm-hmm. that. I never mm-hmm. want to um, be the reason why somebody's evening is is all fucked up because they have to make me happy. It's yeah. kind of my reaction to that. But having said that, I think the feelings that I had from earlier on, there was a point where I was like, well, I'm the man now. <laughs> I mean... And that shit got it. It's honest. 86. It's honest. Quick, nigga. It's honest. All right. And it was, and to be honest with you, I, I can't talk about this and not be completely transparent. There was all other kinds of shit that I was doing too. Sure. And so be, because of that, there was pain on it. So it's not as black and white. It's definitely what you're not saying. as black and white. Like there was, there was, there was probably entitlements that I felt and things that I did as a result of those entitlements that didn't have anything to do with what was going on inside the house or mm-hmm. things that were outside of the house. Mm-hmm. And that type of pain and, and punishment that you can put somebody through is much worse than anything that you can ask them to do sure. inside of your house. So, like, the, 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 lucky that there's even a relationship to discuss. Um, all right. Donnie? I got some hymns that I'm going to send to you in the mail. <laughs> you got to be on your job. I appreciate that. For real. You know, Magic Mike Volume 2. I'm going to give you some of the moves. It's great. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> Take Think Caps Off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. That is Donnie Long Schlong Beecham. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rachel, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. <laughs> 